If we want to list every way Spreaker can help podcast publishers, well, we need a podcast of our own. Whether you're in charge of long-running series with extensive backlogs or countless limited series, you can organize and monetize your entire catalog with Spreaker. With Spreaker's customizable publisher plan, you can add collaborators, analyze extensive listener analytics, and even share exclusive content through custom RSS feeds. And that's just for starters. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God and especially examining the book of Acts Church. And in doing so, we find out how they served the Lord and follow their example. We dig deeper into Scripture. We don't water it down. We don't filter it. And I believe in doing so, we have found the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer to each and every one that wants it, and regaining that world-shaking influence the early church had. This isn't about church as usual. This is about empowering you to be what you were designed to be and what he needs you to be. We believe the church age is still in effect. Day of Pentecost is ongoing, We believe the fire still falls and still burns in each and every one of us. The porch was designed to be an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc. on solomonsporch.org is that website. If you have any questions, you can use the contact button there, or you can go to firefalltalkradio.com and do the same thing. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site, because the only place you can hear the porch is on Firefall Talk Radio on Spreaker.com. Make sure you subscribe. If you did, you know that there was an Overwatch podcast on Sunday night, a really good one regarding earthquakes, the coronavirus, and more. Lots of information and answers there. You should be listening. If you want to support what we do on Firefall Talk Radio, go to firefalltalkradio.com. At the bottom of the page are ways to do that. We appreciate each and every one of you that do. Give us the Lord leads. Welcome to our Spotify, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio listeners, and always they are archived here to download, to share, and to listen to later. Well, we always start out with praise reports and prayer requests, and that's what we're going to do. Now, usually I start out with some information on what's going on in the, the world right now. Well, I'm going to save that because... Overwatch will be the one to spread that information, so make sure you subscribe to Overwatch as well. Keep an eye on that, and you'll get your answers on what's going on in politics, prophecy, the end times, cybersecurity, all the finance, all the different things that are out there, and there's definitely a lot to talk about. I praise the Lord for the ability to do this, to talk about these things with you. I praise for the fact I'm saved born again, name written in the Lamb's book of life, that he gave me back my family, the family I discarded in my unsaved, darkened state. He gave them back to me, and in the process, I got back my wife, my two sons, and then got daughter-in-laws and a grandson. I am blessed. We have furry kids that I, we care about. They're members of our family. We pray for them. So I thank him for all those things. I praise him for the protection he offers us. We are his children, and he watches over us. That's Psalm 91 covering, which is available to us. I praise him for sharing information with us, the dreams and the visions, and giving insight and revelation for his healing virtues, which I believe are still available to us. Because I believe it because it says it in the Word. I praise him that we can praise him without fear of reprisal or recrimination or incarceration or any Asian you can think of. 
We live in a nation that allows us to do that. So regardless of everything you think about America and the problem going on out there, and there are definitely problems, we can still praise and worship the Lord as we see fit. I praise him for the favor that he's given us, and I pray for more abiding favor. We are new creations. You should thank him every day for that. I thank him for that. I thank him that we are in prophetic times that we can watch the sky and know that he's getting ready to come back. That's a praise report. He's coming back. He's not leaving us abandoned. We're not orphans. He's making things ready, so we must get ready. And in doing so, we have to pray. Pray for the Middle East. Pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I know that there's a peace deal on the table, but the only peace deal I'm looking for is the one that comes in the sky when the Lord comes back. Psalm 122.6 tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Well, I do. I pray for Israel. I pray for Jerusalem. I pray for my Jewish brothers and sisters as well as my believing brothers and sisters, the church. I pray for the fatherless. I mean, when I, I don't just recite this, folks. This is sincere and from the heart every day and every week here with you on the porch. I pray for the fatherless because I know what it was like to not have a father. I pray for the widows because I know the Bible tells me to and tells me why. I pray for the innocents in and out of the womb. Natural, animal. There are so many innocents that are being slaughtered by evil and by this fallen world. And I'm sick of it. I pray for the victims of injustice. I pray for the the sex trafficking victims. This is a new hot button for me. I follow it. I watch it. I pray about it. So much evil in the world right now, and it seems like there's no response. But we are the remnant. We are the awakening remnant. So we must offer a response. I sincerely pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted and for their faith in the King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua HaMashiach. I even pray against the anti-Semitism that is destroying Jewish synagogues and sending our Jewish brothers and sisters in fear. Or it's, it's, We are living in the time that the spirit, the Antichrist, that we were warned about First 1 John 4, verse 3, is very prominent. It's on the verge of being unveiled. I don't think it'll be too much longer. A couple of things must happen, but I believe that he's getting ready to make his appearance and for his coming out party. And that's why we must get ready. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing in each and every one of us. Let's get back to our divine design. Some of us are living lives that we were not designed to live. Some of it's our fault. Some of it's the world's fault. Some of it's the enemy's fault. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. We can turn it around. We can change how we do things. And we can live a life in accordance with his word and his guidelines. So I pray right now for everyone that is sick injured, hurt, heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, whatever it is, I pray for you in the name of Yeshua. I pray that you'd be healed. I pray that you'd be whole, that you'd feel his peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray for protection. I pray for inspiration. I pray for the remnant that I'm speaking to to wake up, rise up, I'm praying that you would answer the call to action. I'm praying that the ones that don't know about the porch and have not heard it, I pray for them to rise up, answer the call to action. We have a job to do, and that job takes provision. That job takes participation. That job is going to take people actually getting their hands dirty. Oh, my goodness, what a concept. So I'm praying that if you've been blessed, be a blessing. I'm praying if you've not been blessed, to be blessed so you can be a blessing. For the doors to open, we have a documentary we're going to finish. Hopefully this spring it'll be done. We'll be able to get it out there and get it into the film festivals over the summer. And the Lord will begin to open people's eyes as to what is actually going on out there. I pray that we would prosper in accordance with his word. That the open conduits of his blessings to fund all the dreams, all the visions, all the missions. 
would be ours so that he would be glorified and the kingdom of God would be furthered. Continue to ask you to pray for divine favor and the final conclusion of legal matters that have been going on for too long. Some are closer to the end than others for myself and my wife and for my son and daughter-in-law. If you've got something going on out there, we pray for it. We pray that the resolution would be as God declares, that he would be glorified and you would be blessed. Woody in Central Florida is giving an update here, prayer request for his father. His father is still struggling with his addiction to alcohol and it's only gotten much worse. Please pray somehow he comes out of it. I shared with Woody the thing here we need to pray for his father and for everyone working with him is to understand that the addiction is a manifestation of the problem. We pray for the root of the problem to be exposed so that it can be pulled and he can be healed. Nick in Dallas, good to hear from you, Nick. He has a prayer request. He's come down with the flu, and he's asked for prayers for healing and restoration. Right now is not time to mess around with the flu. With so many different things going on in the world, if we just pray you'd be healed, Nick, and make sure you stay on top of that. Stacy in Texas sent in a word that uh, just wants everybody to know she's thinking about them and praying for them. Kim in Fort Mitchell says, I just want to praise him for his love and for saving my soul for the new life that he's given me without the bondage of addiction. I praise him for my children, the few friends that are dear to me, and in the porch community. I praise him for everything he provides for us. She says, I'm doing surprisingly well, considering that I just lost my job. Last week, I prayed for a clear answer about this job, and two days later, I'd been informed that my shift had been eliminated and that the store would change. I guess he made himself very clear. I guess I didn't expect an answer so soon. I prayed a lot about this, and I feel like he's telling me to find a job in the field I'm going to be working in after I graduate. I lost the job before. I'm not trying to say that. I lost the job in uh, sobriety, which knocked me off my feet. It's different this time. Please pray for me to find what he wants me to do in his plan, not mine. Please pray to protect my children. Father, please protect my children. Save my husband and mother's soul. Her mother's having eye surgery next week. Please say a prayer for her. Father, your children are being attacked all over the world. Keep your arms around them. Keep them safe. Deliver my children as well as myself. Protect our family from the devil's attacks on a daily basis, day and night. Heal our minds, bodies, and spirits. Says, I feel this weird heaviness in the air. Not sure what it is, but bless us, Father. Keep us safe from these diseases out there, praying blessings and favor over the porch family's SRT, and she's asking him to stabilize her finances in Jesus' name. Lord, you left us, but you didn't abandon us. You are coming back, and you gave us an assignment to tarry, to occupy. We are in a fallen world. The system is rigged against us, but you are the one that controls all things. So we pray right now for each every every one of the prayers that have been offered and the ones that are being offered as I speak. We lay them at your feet in full expectancy that you will honor them because they glorify you as you bless us. For the finances, for the provision, for the healing, for the restoration, for all the things that are being offered up to you right now in Jesus' name. You are our Heavenly Father. In many cases, you're all we have. We can't put our trust in this world. We can't put our trust in the systems of this world or the people that run those systems. The only one we can trust is you. So right now, we ask you to bless us, heal us, deliver us, and let us be a blessing to others and let us become what you want us to be. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the upper room. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, which you sent back to walk with us and guide us. We ask right now for more more fire, more oil in our lamps. We ask for more so that we can bless others and we can be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. So we ask you to bless this time, clear our minds. We take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Messiah. We cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself over the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father, We ask your Holy Spirit to change us, soften our hearts, open the areas that have been closed to revelation, closed to you and your gifts and the fruit. We ask you to touch us, protect us, 
protect the technology. Have your way with us this night. Let the word go forth and let us hear it. Let us have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the awakening remnant and what's required to be remnant ready. Actually, what we're talking about is the way the church was supposed to be, and instead it's become the remnant. This isn't what church was supposed to be. The remnant that I'm speaking to and teaching you about is what the church at large was supposed to be, and that's not the case. But, of course, he knew that would be the way it would be. He lives outside of time. He knows the end from the beginning. So tonight we're talking about the vital importance of the infilling and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in our life for us to be this remnant, to be effective. So go with me to Ephesians 1, starting verse 17. This is the Apostle Paul. He prayed that the Lord, that the God of our Lord, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the two of them going together in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And we know that that's a position of power and authority and favor far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave to him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, the people, that's his body, not the building you go to. Paul's praying that all believers would progress towards maturity so that they can fully appreciate the greatness and the power of their salvation, a power which he assumes will be demonstrated both in and through those same Spirit-empowered believers. You meet a lot of people that claim to be saved, claim to be born again, and there's no life in them. There's no light in them. There's no fruit on their vine. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not the life of the believer that he and the apostles were teaching. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, is the source of heavenly wisdom and revelation. And we need heavenly wisdom and revelation in both the natural and the supernatural realms around us. We should be walking in two worlds at the same time. Most people don't. The majority of the people don't. They either walk in one or the other, and it's the spirit realm is a, is a momentary thing for them. I will tell you, as somebody who has walked in two worlds, for most of my walk with the Lord, it's disconcerting. It's not easy. It takes time getting used to, but that was what was expected of us. That is what the apostles, and I believe the Book of Acts Church did, but the Holy Spirit inside of you is an investment into you. And it's supposed to bear dividends. And you are supposed to increase in value because the Spirit inside of you increases. If the Holy Spirit is the sap in the vine, he's the vine, you're the branches, and we produce fruit. The more sap that goes through the vine into the branches, the greater and sweeter the fruit is. But the New Testament teachers... 
reveal to us that there is an invisible hierarchy of evil powers who deceive and manipulate human behavior, thereby advancing the satanic strategies of the kingdom of darkness. Messiah himself and all who are in him, all who are in Messiah, are shown, according to the word, to be placed in a position of authority over these powers, an authority that only spiritual warfare can assert, demonstrate, and sustain. Which gets us back to why church is a people and not a building. It's a living organism. As long as the enemy can convince us it's a dead concrete structure, then it won't be effective. Pastor Shelley and I were talking about that yesterday, talking about the remnant, sharing with him what I was teaching. And he agreed, and he's been in ministry for 70 years, 70 plus years, that the church is unprepared, unaware. They don't understand. Even the ones that think they do, they don't even know what they don't know. And the biggest thing of what they don't know this is they're caught up into building kingdoms, building buildings, building programs, when in actuality we were supposed to be a living organism. We are his body. So the primary focus, the primary thrust of this letter to the church in Ephesus is to show the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, that they are the present physical manifestation of Messiah. That's why Hasatan, that's why Satan and the fallen don't want you to understand this. Because then you become a living, breathing threat to what they're doing. And Paul is showing that the church is to be filled by the Lord with the power of the Holy Spirit. Assigned to them. Sent to them by the Father. And in doing so, it allows us to minister his life, his love and his power to each other and to a fallen world. Ephesians 6.12, We do not wrestle, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So having said all that, let's circle back to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 17, and this will be the amplified version. For I always pray to God, I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, the Father of glory, that he may grant to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep, intimate knowledge of him, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you, and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints his set-apart ones, and so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he asserted in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, above every title that could be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. And he, being the Father, has put all things under his feet, being Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord, and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church. Now, when Paul speaking to the Jews of Messiah's time, they understood that the end times were divided into two time periods, the age in which they were living and the coming age. The Messiah, called the coming one, would be the rule and the ruler of the age which is to come. The church here is not referring to one local assembly, but to all believers. Paul's message, and this is the other thing I want you to get tonight, Paul's message was one of a unified entity that lived 
and acted and reacted as an extension of Messiah. I, for one, got caught up in this, thought thinking that the particular organization I was in or the particular um, entity that I went to every Wednesday and Sunday and whenever the doors was opened was what he was talking about. No, that's not it. We are all part of one body. And the concept of denominations has fractured us and turned us into a split personality entity that the enemy can play with and cause division. We're supposed to be unified, one army, against the kingdom of darkness. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 1, I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you and beg you to walk, to lead a life worthy of the divine calling, to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. Living as becomes you with the complete lowliness of mind, a humility, a meekness, an unselfishness, a gentleness, a mildness, with patience, bearing with one another and making allowances because you love one another. Be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness of and produced by the Spirit and the binding power of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as there is also one hope that belongs to the calling you have received. Look at verse 4 again, Ephesians 4, 4, one body, one Spirit. Is that what we see right now? No. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all, sovereign over all, pervading all, and living in us all. Yet grace, God's unmerited favor, which was given to each of us individually, not indiscriminately, but in different ways, in proportion to the measure of Messiah's rich and bounteous gift. Therefore it said, when he ascended on high, he being Yeshua, he led captivity captive. What that means is he led a train of vanquished foes behind them. He made a public spectacle of them. And he bestowed gifts on men as a part of his victory. But he ascended, he ascended, but what does that mean that he ascended? But he had previously descended from the heights of heaven into the depths of the lower parts of the earth. If you don't understand what that is. He went down into Sheol and took the righteous dead that had been waiting for him and presented them to the Father as first fruits. He also preached to the ones who were in prison, letting them know their time had come and was coming and that he had been glorified. So he ascended high above all the heavens that his presence might fill all things, the whole universe from the lowest to the highest, and his gifts the ones I talked about before, varied. He himself, now listen to me, he appointed, not man appointed. This nonsense of people appointing you your gifts is nonsense, which is why I called it nonsense. The Holy Spirit determines, and the Holy Spirit verifies by the fruit you produce. And his gifts varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, some prophets, inspired preachers, some evangelists, preachers of the gospel, traveling missionaries, some pastors who were shepherds of his flock and teachers. And his intention was the perfecting and the equipping of the saints. That's us, his consecrated people. That they should do the work of ministering toward building up Messiah's body, which is the church. Not the stage people. Not the people with titles behind their name. We were supposed to all be working together that it might develop until we attain a oneness in the faith, in the comprehension of the full, accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at a really mature manhood. Wow, we have not done that. The completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Messiah's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah, and the completeness found in him. See, this was supposed to be the traditional church I'm talking about, not the remnant, not the special people that want more. He was expecting that every fellowship would be like this. 
So then we may no longer be children. Uh, maturity. Tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teachings and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine, the prey of the cunning and cleverness of unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery in inventing errors to mislead. It amazes me that Paul is describing in his day the church of today. Nothing's changed. Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, enfolded in love. Let us grow up in every way and in all things into him who is the head, even the Messiah, the Anointed One. For because of him, the whole body of the church and all its various parts, all of you, me, everybody that works with me in the the SRT or the porch or firefall, that we would be closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied. When each part with the power adapted to its need is working properly in all functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. Have you ever had an injury, uh, ligament damage in your knee or your hips or your elbows or a bone broken? Suddenly the body no longer works like it was supposed to. That po- those parts of the body have to take a lesser load, and then another part of the body has to take more of a load, and that throws off that part of the body. We were supposed to be in balance. We were supposed to be fully mature, fully healed, fully functioning. Instead, we're a limping, broken ineffective body, but I'm believing that's changing. I'm believing that you're changing. I know that I'm changing. So I say this solemnly and testify in the name of the Lord, Paul goes on to say, as in his presence, that you must no longer live as the heathen Gentiles do in their perverseness and the folly, vanity, and emptiness of their souls and the futility of their minds. Their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is clouded. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. And that's because of the ignorance they want of knowledge and perception, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart, to the insensitiveness of their moral nature. See, this is why I say to you when I hear believers speak, They have no compassion, no love for the lost, no sympathy for those that are in bondage to the enemy. I question whether you know him or not, because we can't harden a heart. We can't be insensitive. It's easy to become frustrated. It's easy to become judgmental, but that's because we see something in the other people that frightens us. Maybe it reminds us of our former nature. I don't know. It goes on in verse 19, In their spiritual apathy they have become callous and past feelings and reckless and have abandoned themselves as a prey to unbridled sensuality, eager and greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that their deprived desires may suggest and demand. You know, I won't mention names because I know the Holy Spirit will stop me. I can already feel him getting ready to grab my tongue. But there are very famous preachers out there. Some are alive, some have passed on. People that have been lifted up to positions of favor and power and admiration and adoration that behind closed doors were extremely perverse, some of which, and this seems to be a pattern that the enemy uses, would bring women into counsel. And in the process of the women seeking counsel, they would ask those women to strip naked before the Lord and, of course, in front of them so that they could prophesy to them correctly. Of course, things one thing would lead to another. And some of these very famous men, one of whom prophecy shared this week, got them pregnant. One from Atlanta, who has long passed on, got his own sister-in-law pregnant, fathered a child by them, and continued to run this multiple megachurch even after it came out. What is up with this, folks? What are we doing? Giving adulation and a credit and money and giving our t- to people like that. 
I've seen what goes on behind closed doors, and I was not a part of a mega church. It was a large church. I've seen what happens. I've seen the nonsense. I've seen the adultery and the thieving and all the other stuff that goes on. And, of course, they hide it because they knew if the people found out about it, it would cause the flock to scatter. So they keep these people in there. And me being who I am, I don't deal with that very well and want to call it out. And who do you think gets asked to leave? Them? No, me. I won't compromise. Do we all make mistakes? Absolutely. Do we all fall? Yeah, but once you repent, the Lord lifts you back up. But they're they're callous. They're beyond feeling. They're reckless. They're looking to indulge in every form of impurity that their desires suggest or demand of them. But you did not learn so in Messiah. Assuming that you've really heard him and been taught by him, the truth in Yeshua embodied in Persephone, personified in him. The remnant he's speaking to, I believe, here in verse 22, strip yourselves of your former nature, put off and discard your old renewed self, which characterized your previous nature of life and becomes corrupt through lust and desires which spring from delusion. And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude and put on the new nature, the regenerate self created in God's image, God-like in true righteousness and holiness, right now in the name of Jesus, right now in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, I speak to your mind. And I say, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And anything that is in there that is not of him, that is of this world, that is of the fallen, that is satanic in nature, I pray right now it leave you, it be gone, it never become a part of you again. You can't do this. You can't live this life. You can't even live the normal believer's life, let alone be a part of the remnant, if you're going to pander to and accept that stuff. See, this is just the opening of the letter to Ephesus. And he's appealing to every believer to fully understand the process needed to attain unity and spiritual maturity in the body. And the process includes both being equipped and participating in ministry. So this unity that he's talking about is a responsibility to each and every believer and should be pursued earnestly. Is that easy? No. Is it necessary? Absolutely. Romans 12 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans fourteen nineteen. therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There are going to be disagreements. There are going to be conflicts of personality. But as long as you keep your eye on him and your eye on the calling and your eye on whatever was going on, whatever the Lord wants you to do, you'll be able to put those things aside. Now, how do we do it? How? Well, it starts with baptism. One baptism. Even in those two parts to it, there's one baptism. You have the believer's baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body, and the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit for power-filled services. See, you're baptized by water into his body, which is repentance, and then you're baptized by the fire of the Holy Spirit for service to receive the nature of his Holy Spirit as family. Remember what the Lord said to the disciples in Acts 1, starting with verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when you had come together, and they, therefore when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, they're asking the wrong question. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Lord, the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. It's a package deal. And we see this exemplified perfectly in Acts 19, starting with verse 1. Paul's in Ephesus, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, and I think there were 12 of them, and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, "Uh, we've not as much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul asked them, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him, capital H, came after him, which we know is Messiah Yeshua. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Adonai Yeshua, Lord Jesus, which means they were rebaptized in water. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, which means they were then baptized in the fire and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So here he arrives in Ephesus. He finds a group of disciples, which means they were true believers, whose knowledge about the Holy Spirit was defective. It was inefficient. Their teachers knew about some of the basics that they'd gotten from John the Baptist, but were completely unaware of the developments of Pentecost. Some people in the church still are unaware of the developments of Pentecost. Therefore, these disciples had only been baptized in John's baptism. That This conversion experience, their conversion experience, were accompanied by the knowledge that a fuller experience would come, but they didn't have the realization that it had come. I'm telling you, folks, there are people in the body today that still fit this description. And what does Paul do? He doesn't discuss it with them. He doesn't. He just readies it. He fixes it. He remedies it. He rebaptizes them in water, the only time we see this in the New Testament. And then he leads them into the fuller experience with the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an obvious parallel to the day of Pentecost. And we see that by them spontaneously speaking in tongues and prophesying. Water baptism is a declaration of repentance and separation from the world. When you are baptized in the name of Adonai Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, it is a declaration of ownership, an identification with Yeshua as Lord and Savior of your life. When I got baptized in Lake Monroe in Tallahassee by Shelley and my brother-in-law, John. That's what I was doing. I'd been saved, but I was making a public declaration of my repentance and his ownership in my life, ownership of me and him as my Lord and Savior. But when you get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a further declaration that you are no longer of this world, but you belong to a heavenly kingdom filled with the spirit of that king. Let me say that again if you don't get it. When you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are declaring that you're no longer of this world, but you're of a heavenly kingdom filled with the spirit of that king speaking in a tongue, a new tongue, a new language, as a sign that you are a citizen of a new kingdom by speaking its language. It's a heavenly language. And the empowering gifts of the Spirit are the power and the authority of that kingdom. That's what this is about. You want to be a part of the remnant? You want to make a difference? If if you just want to go along to get along and have your ticket on the train or the flight out of here, I, I, I can't help you. That's not my calling. But if you understand that there's more, I can help you with that. Because I know that there's more. Now let's go back to Ephesians 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you. How rich is his glorious inheritance in the saint 
his saints, plural, his set-apart ones. Do you know how rich and glorious that is? Do you know how much he loves you and called you and what he did for you? You may say yes, but I, I really want you to dwell on that. I really want you to say, Lord, show me. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my mind so that I can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe, demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Messiah, with whom he raised from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Are you catching that there is a partnership going on here between the Father and the Son in you? And this authority has seated him far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, by the fallen or by man, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world that is to come. John Wesley understood this. He understood what I'm talking to you about. He wouldn't recognize the church that he started, the Methodist church. I'm not sure he meant to start a whole new church. It just kind of happened. See, from, the, from its inception, the Methodist revival was a spirit-born resurgence of scriptural Christianity. John, John Wesley was criticized for a lot of things. The most common charge against him was his, quote, enthusiasm. His insistence on the direct, tangible, daily influence of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life rubbed uh, the, the dry, formal Christians of his day and the leadership of his day like sandpaper. But... His consistent defense was that the gospel he was teaching was nothing other than the faith of the apostles recorded authoritatively in the New Testament. Basically, what he was saying is, I'm simply preaching and teaching what the Book of Acts Church lived, what the disciples taught. See, Wesley anguished over the fact that the leaders of the church of his day understood so little of how integral the Holy Spirit is to the effective believer's life. He continually made the case that the, quote, normal life of faith is infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he never bought into the notion that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased after the time of the the apostles. No, he not only didn't accept that, he tied the loss of supernatural Christianity, the loss of supernatural uh, manifestations in the church to the worldly religiosity that had taken over the church based on the powerless religious hierarchy that came about after the post-Constantinian era, which bypassed the Holy Spirit for man's spirit. Wesley believed that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit were an expected part of the life of faith that does not describe the Methodist Church today. So I read to you Ephesians one twenty one. So what does John Wesley say about that section of Scripture? These are from his notes. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that is, God has invested him, meaning the Lord, with uncontrollable authority over all the demons in hell, all the angels in heaven, all the princes and potents on the earth, and every name that is named. We know the king is above all, though we cannot name all the officers in his court, so that we know that Messiah is above all, though we're not able to name all his subjects, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. The world to come is so styled, not because it does not yet exist, but because it is not yet visible. Principalities and powers are named now, but those also who are not even named in this world shall be revealed in the world to come and also are subject to Messiah. That's the one thing that many in the church do not understand today. There is a different aspect to this spiritual warfare. There are different players on the field. 
It's not business as usual. It's not the way it used to be. But the one thing that has not changed is we were all supposed to be a part of one large unified occupying army. So with that in mind, what is the first thing that the Lord does when he arrives in heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father? What's the first thing that he does? He sends back the Holy Spirit to his church. He told us he would. John fourteen twenty six. But the Comforter, the Counselor, the Helper, the Intercessor, the Advocate, the Strengthener, the Standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things. And he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance everything that I have told you, which is why you should reject anything that doesn't line up with his word. Didn't come from the Holy Spirit. John fifteen twenty six. And when that comforter, that counselor, that helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes, proceeds, emanates literally from the Father. He himself will testify regarding me. And then John sixteen fourteen caps it off. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So that would tell me that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is predominantly Messiah-oriented. A part of which is to teach and remind us what Yeshua taught in person to the disciples. That makes sense to me, and hopefully it does to you. So then, the Holy Spirit is never self-serving, never drawing attention to himself. And one of the ways he teaches us is through the gift of teaching. Ephesians 4, 8, and 11. Therefore it said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, he led a train of vanquished foe, bestowed gifts on men. Those gifts are, he appointed some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, which are shepherds of his flock, and some teachers, but none were ever supposed to take his place. None were ever supposed to take the place of the Holy Spirit, and they were never supposed to freeze the Holy Spirit out of the equation. So the active presence of the Holy Spirit is vital to the remnant, which is why worldliness has no place. It's an infection that sickens the body of Messiah. We can't do it, folks. We can't make it. We cannot do what we have been called to do and allow the world to mold our thinking, mold us, and infect us with their ways. The sin of this world has no place in the body of Messiah. The compromise of this world has no place in the body of Messiah. The things of the fallen have no place in the body of Messiah. And yet I see it all the time. And if you try to point it out, even in love, people get angry with you. They think you're judging them. I'm sorry. If I pick up an apple and it's rotten, I'm not going to eat it. Therefore, I've judged that this apple is unacceptable. If I look at a tree that is a believer and their fruit is rotten, what should I do? Just, hey, you want some fruit off this tree? No, I'm not going to do that. That would be wrong. What, what will it take? What will it take? Think about that. What will it take to wake up your brothers and sisters. What will it take to wake up your family members? It starts with love, yeah. You're right. Unconditional love. But there comes a point where you may have to make a choice. I will love you and I will pray for you, but I cannot walk with you. And I cannot tolerate, condone, or participate in the things that you do 
The minute you do that, you become part of the remnant. You become part of those who have been called out from within those who are called out. You become part of the people that he looks at his body and says, come out from amongst them and be separate. But wait a second, Lord, them is your church. Come out from amongst them and be separate. I have a job for you to do and I can't do it with you compromised. Can you do that? Some of you just immediately say, yeah, but I can issue. There's a price for that. There's a loneliness for that. That's what the porch is for. That, that, that's what this community was for. And, yes, we're on the, only on the Internet. We interact either by email or social media or whatever, and I wish we could do more than that. But being a one-man band, that's about what I can handle right now. Would I love to be able to travel around and, meet with you and do Bible studies and pray with you? Absolutely. And I'm believing that that's the, one of the breakthroughs that are coming this year, the finances and the ability for me to do that, my brother Larry to travel with me and whoever else might want to work on that team, providing that the Lord calls them to do that. But we have got to become unified in prayer. That's why I start out with these praise reports and prayer requests at the beginning. It's always the same handful of people, and I get it. But I want you to understand that there are others out there going through what you're going through, feeling what you're feeling. You know, Toby Mack, the, the singer used to be a part of DC Talk. He has a song called Scars. Basically, the tagline of the song is, in this world, there are going to be scars. You're going to fall. You can't escape that. There are scars from living in a fallen world. He experienced that recently when his 21-year-old son, who had gone off into his own music and rap career, that in his song about his song calls him his prodigal son, overdosed on drugs. There are scars. There are times the enemy may get through your defenses. There are times that the flock just wander outside the gates, wander outside the fence, wander outside the the protection of the shepherd and the sheepdogs. And every now and then the enemy gets one. Shouldn't be that way. Sheep should stay wherever the shepherd is. They should be there. They should never want the grass on the other side of that fence. So, Father, I just come to you now. I'm going to stop here. I just come to you now in the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Lord and Savior. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us. Help us in our weaknesses. Help us to pray. Even, Even in words we don't understand, let us have those groanings that are not expressed in words but through you through a heavenly language that comes from you that petitions the father with things that we don't even know or saying but we know that you're doing it i pray that each and every person listening here would let go of their preconceived notion let go of the restrictions placed upon them by others and move in the freedom and the power of the holy spirit manifesting the gifts and the fruit as he wills Some people pray for a specific manifestation. I just pray that you use whatever manifestation you want at the moment you want to use it. What we could use right now is some love, a fruit of the Spirit, some patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. But we need you. We need you, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. We're not slaves anymore. We're free. We've been set apart. We have the spirit of adoption that allows us to say, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. allows us to understand that we are adopted into a kingdom, into a family. And we now have his language in our hearts. Let it be so on our lips. Let us be set apart from this fallen world. Let every attachment of this world right now go up in flames by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let everything that hinders us and holds us back, let everything that defiles us 
be burned off of us. So I pray for you to be filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit and engulfed in it as well. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn. Learn smarter.